Hey, Steve. Hey, Chris. So, I've been playing this game Fire Emblem Echoes. In fact, I finished Fire Emblem Echoes, and you know what? I got a pet peeve. Or What's your least, pet peeve? Or at least that's my weak, weak intro to this week's topic. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is supposed to be pet peeves. Honestly, I, I did come very poorly prepared. I'm sorry, I'm not very well prepared either. So, instead of discussing with something very volatile, like we were discussing before the show, uh, I decided, let me just do something recent with Fire Emblem Echoes, which I just uh, beat this week. And um, the incomprehensible sort of secrets to some games, like there's a lot of people, especially with Dark Souls, where people are like, oh yeah, I love that the game doesn't tell you about that, you just gotta discover it. And it's like, yeah, but unless you're a QA tester, or you're one of these ridiculous Twitch streamers that just discovers how somehow to have an invi- uh, ongoing infinite super in Destiny 2. <laughs> and the beta just came out yesterday. Um, like Most of the time you won't figure this stuff out. You have to go and you have to find it online by seeing what other people did. And in the case of Fire Emblem Echoes, it's the final boss fight, which is the first time I really lost at a fight. Like I know what I'm doing, I know that get the mechanics, I know how the turning it works, but I lose because it has enemies that seem invincible, like they keep canceling out attacks and stuff, or they do this, or they do that. And it turns out there's a trick to all this stuff. And it was probably interesting back on the NES when you had to talk to, you know, your schoolmates and stuff kind of right, thing. Right. But, like, in this modern day, and especially now that I'm an adult, I don't have friends on the schoolyard I could just talk to. And even on the forum, just there's no guarantee that anyone I'm talking to is at the same place that I am. So, I looked online, and there's just this stupid arbitrary condition that you can hit these guys at, or something like that. Like, there's this information in the final battle that's very important, and they don't tell you about it. You and- should have figured it out yourself, man. Yeah, oh, and watch that 30 minute long cutscene 10 more times before oh, you finally totally. figure it out. Well, fortunately, I can skip the cutscene. But, and it works it works very well the first time you're playing. Every character on the battlefield has this little monologue when you choose them for the first time. That's also skippable, but it's kind of tiresome to have to skip that every time you want to move skip your character on like the third attempt at the fight. I can see that. I can see that. So, that actually ties into one of my one of my pet peeves, and that's where you have the this like epic buildup to a boss fight that's like way harder than anything else that you're going to do, and you're gonna fail. <laughs> and it's just like from a from a game perspective, I don't know, maybe that's okay, but from a narrative perspective, it always feels flat. Do you mean when the game forces you to fail? Like there is no. No, no, not when the game forces you to fail, but like say like the final boss in Final Fantasy IV. So almost. Yeah. So like you get to you get to the end the ending or you know, and you know like people are your I forget the whole thing the whole sequence like people who you thought were dead or alive and they're (laughs) like we're right here with you yeah let's beat this guy. And then you die, and it's like... (laughs) (laughs) And then you gotta go back and redo your save and go through the end of the dungeon, and then, all right, we're right here with you, and then you die. And it just kind of like... And while the one answer is, get good, bro, it's not entirely helpful, and yet 
See, for the final boss, it's going to be especially tricky. It needs to be harder than any other enemy in the game. And yet, ideally, also balanced enough that the pl player could figure out how to beat them. Right. And that also, that ties into some sort of older RPG tropes that maybe aren't as common anymore. Like the, you know, the attack that will knock your entire party down to one hit point. Oh. Or something like that. These, you know, massive nuke attacks. Or like... You know, if you didn't come to this battle at at least level 75, when he fires his ultra special attack, you're going to wipe no matter what. Like yeah. that kind of stuff where, okay, now I've got to go back and grind through the last dungeon to get 10 more levels to actually be able to fight the boss fight. And in some ways, especially even if it's an optional boss, the games do include, well, they include that kind of stuff because they want you to think about the mechanics. Like, I'm most recently reminded of Bravely Default and Bravely Second, which has like attack moves that will wipe everyone down to one hit point. But there are ways you can actually use the game systems and your character's abilities right. to not only mitigate that, but prepare for it. So, in some cases, I mean, of course, Bravely Default and Bravely Second have some level of forgiveness right. to that stuff. Well, that's I'm, I'm thinking about an example of that might be something like um, Final Fantasy VI. They have the Fallen One ability, which essentially does the same thing. Well, I was, I was thinking every one of the parties dropped at one hit point. All right. Well, Final Fantasy VI is also a game that was notoriously um, easy to break. Easy to break with with certain combinations of abilities and skills. I was thinking about Final Fantasy X, where there's a couple boss fights in there that the first time I played through the game and I had less experience with RPGs. Uh, my my main experience was just with Final Fantasy games. Um, the one fight with uh, what's her name, Unaleska, Unaleska, something like that, uh, where she has an attack that casts death on your entire party and it's unblockable. But she also has an attack that will randomly inflict the zombie status on certain members of your party. And members of your party who are in zombie status are immune to death. So the trick to the fight is you let her leave, you always let her leave some part members of your party in zombie status so that when she uses her impossible to dodge death attack, it doesn't hurt whoever has zombie status. And then you can use the holy water or whatever to turn them out of zombie and revive the rest of your party. Maybe there's something... Specific so to the Japanese design. Well, I'm trying to think because dramatically, like if you like, it, in terms of user friendliness, you want something to prepare you. You at least want a note before, like even if it's like an optional note, like somewhere in some secret side passage, you find oh, there's a journal entry and it's discussing about how she uses these abilities. Well, <laughs> let me put two and two together and I'll be prepared. But no, instead it's you go into the battle. You get hit with zombie effect. You're like, oh, I gotta cure this, I gotta cure this. Then you get wrecked with death. And it's like, oh, now I know what I'm going to do. Next time, now that I've game Next over. Next time, now that I have to watch this unskippable cutscene again. So For the fifth time. You need to be able to skip cutscenes and also... I mean, you're speaking of Final Fantasy X, and when my uh, buddy Mike was playing through it again... He was playing the uh, Final Fantasy X HD remix kind of a deal or whatever. Yeah, I did that as well. Um, and they, because it's also the international version, they got some of the optional, like, dark uh, summons or whatever they're called. And for him, he saw this random guy walking around and he was like, oh, I'm going to talk to them. 
And as soon as he engages in that conversation, next thing you know, he's in this boss fight with this impossible to beat monster that he was not ready for. He had no idea what was about to happen. Right. So and the, then he's going to revert to the last save and, you know, hopefully was, he saved recently. <laughs> and he hadn't. <laughs> so I guess in that regard, for, for powerful fights like that, I feel like games should always have like they should you should always be able to be prepared for it like the game should make sure it's telegraphed like the next room is where you're gonna fight the boss or oh this is a guy that you're supposed to fight are you sure you wanna like mess with him like the the game should ask you that way you're re- you're able to go yeah. like you know what no I'm not and I think that's something a lot of newer games have. Corrected where they well, they sort might mitigate it because you have autosave. Well, not just autosave. I'm imagining. I feel like in newer games, I've seen sequences like that, but they've sort of ended with a choice where it's like, do you want to test your skill against me? Yes or no. Yeah. Well, and there are some is... games that even did that. I think Final Fantasy IV did that for some of the uh, optional weapons. Right. Um. Oh yeah, you're right. That's true. That, that you can kind of get out of it, but especially in the ones that kind of sneak up on you. Yeah, um, and that that does happen, and, and even in like shooter games or something, like, like there might be something that you're like, oh hey, I wonder what's down this hallway. Oh my god, evidently I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> Which I think these all tie into a bigger pet peeve to me, and that's games that waste your time. That is always a very interesting. I mean, I'm not never sure how to address that term, that phrase, the idea of a game wasting your time because. What wastes one person's time isn't always wasting someone else's. Like, a lot of people consider the beginning of Final Fantasy XV, where you're pushing the car a waste of time. Well, I'm not thinking. About, I'm not thinking about like that. I'm thinking about things where there's they're unnecessarily hard or surprisingly hard, and are going to force you to repeat some number of steps. Over and over and over and over again. So would you, your pet peeve is Dark Souls and every game that tries uh, to imitate it. No, no, no. See, that's that's a little different. I've seen some of them animated gifts, man. Some of the many enemies kick you off a cliff from out of nowhere. And I know the I know the idea. The idea is the game, like you're supposed to learn, and as you learn, well, see, you get this idea. You also get this. You also kind of get in the habit. You sort of crawl forward. <laughs> and into new areas in the block position, like somebody kind of. I wanted to say that everyone's seen this game. That would not have saved that guy from well, being yeah. kicked I mean, over the yes, edge of the yes. cliff. Think, things like that happen <laughs> in the game, but then at the same time, it's that's almost like asking for it. That is a game <laughs> whose name is "You Are Asking for It." Prepare to die at this shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not. I'm talking about games that. Like, uh, for example, I've been playing Sonic Adventure 2 with my son. <laughs> You're right, that game is one big waste of time. <laughs> oh! And there's... Unsubscribe. Uh, there's a couple of... The last... The, actually, the final two boss fights. Well, actually, the, the final... So, if you ever play Sonic Adventure 2, there's a light story and there's a dark story. And then when you beat both of them, you unlock final mission. Um... <laughs> And then the final mission is, the first final mission is you play a short level as each character in the game. So you play as Tails, Dr. Eggman, 
Knuckles, Rouge the Bat, and then you play as Sonic. Now you get five lives, and if you lose all five lives throughout the course of this level, you have to go back all the way to the beginning and play as Tails, and Dr. Eggman, Ooh. and Rouge the Bat, and Knuckles, and then Sonic. And so maybe maybe three or four times, I died on the Sonic, I lost my last life on the Sonic mission. And the Sonic, yeah, maybe, maybe I, I just suck at the game or something like that. But that means, how many Everyone times, how many times <laughs> did I go through, you know, Tails, and Eggman, and Rouge the Bat, and Knuckles to get to Sonic, to die, to <laughs> Tails, to Eggman. <laughs> And so you know, at the very least, each of those characters should have their very own pool of lives kind of a deal. Right, exactly. But, I, I digress, but it's kind of like an example. It just, it just wasted a lot of time. Where I did the same thing over and over again. And some of it wasn't particularly fun. Like, it's not like I'm having, you know, fun, I don't know, getting a giant robot dropped on my head for the 20th time out of nowhere. <laughs> at least I know where the giant robot is coming from this time. Yeah, basically you want to be able to learn from your mistake and put it into action immediately as opposed to learn from your mistake and then have to spend 20 minutes to get there. Yeah, you, you want to learn from the next thing and, yeah. and then learn the last thing and then die on the next thing and learn, but without having to, right, not having to waste 15 minutes doing something you've already done 20 times. Yeah, and I mean, because I'm... Again, though, like I'm th sitting here thinking, well, it depends on the game, it depends on the game, because one of the things that made Resident Evil work as a survival horror is the limited number of saves. So you didn't want to save as often as you might in other games, and as a result, you could be playing for two hours, and all of a sudden, like, oh crap, like, now I'm really nervous about dying, I gotta get to a safe spot, and that works for that type of game. Right, but that's, I think that's, again, that's a genre decision. And that's also something where, in a game like Resident Evil, if you play for two hours and die, that might only take you 30 minutes to get through that same stretch the second time. Because you're like, okay, I gotta go find this key that's in that room, and there's a zombie behind that door, bang, bang, got the key, yeah. go back, I'm not spending an extra 30 minutes. Alright, now what room is the first key in to unlock the first door? And then once I get through that, I gotta find the second key. And, and you might have a better idea of the layout, so it's not even just, you know, it's also, okay, what zombies can I skip killing kind of a deal. Right. Um, so there, there is the, the price of your time, but you might be able to conserve more ammo on a second round. You might right. be able to do it in less time. You might be better prepared in general. And that's where Dark Souls falls in too, I think. Like, okay, I got cheap killed and kicked off the edge into the off the cliff or whatever but now I know where that guy is so next time I'll go through and I'll get him yeah and then I'll be prepared for whatever comes next so it it at least there's a there's a sense of pushing forward even when you're sometimes repeating yourself and I guess to switch over to genres let's also bring up um, let's, on a counter to that I guess you could say let's bring up Halo Combat Evolved where normally it was separated by a specific individual encounter. So you'd go into one room, do an encounter, and then move on to the next. And it would checkpoint frequently. So if you did like three rooms and died on the fourth, it's not forcing you to do all of those three rooms again. Right. Um, so 
I guess even though you could say some of the same things about Lesson Learned, I mean, Halo, the, the nature of the AI, the nature of the combat, it's just as easy to do as good, worse, or better if you're retreading old ground. Right. Um, and as we've learned with, with Destiny, you know, retreading old ground can be fun as long as the mechanics <laughs> are fun. <laughs> oh, you know what? Let's bring up a pet peeve with Destiny 2. Everything being balanced for PvP, even though I really don't care for Crucible. Ooh. Ooh. That's a very Destiny-specific pet peeve. <laughs> that is a very Destiny-specific pet peeve. Because most games keep their multi, their competitive and their yeah, single player very right. separate, very separate. Very much. Um, I don't know. I, I I am kind of feeling like a firestorm though. I feel like a firestorm. I gotta say it. You know what my pet peeve is? What's that? People that insist Sonic is better than it actually is. Oh. I'm not talking about the fast food restaurant. Uh, we. <laughs> I I feel like I have a realistic view of <laughs> of Sonic the Hedgehog. Every Sonic fan I know says they do. Well, no, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> there, there are some... Now, I'm not, like an, I'm not like an OG Sonic fan, so I had maybe played it a couple times in the actual, like, the original games on the Genesis. The first Sonic games that I actually owned and played myself were Sonic Adventure and Sonic Adventure 2 on the Dreamcast. Then I went back and played through the first original Genesis games on PlayStation 3. I think I had also played Sonic Heroes on PlayStation 2. So that was sort of my introduction to Sonic, and then I got to go back. And yeah, this was a game that it used a lot of the same principles, I think, as the Mario game to teach you how to play, um, where you introduce, you know, you introduce gameplay components one thing at a time. So you teach a player Okay, you run fast. Which one do you think? Sonic does. So, for example, the original Sonic the Hedgehog teaches you, okay, the first thing you learn is you can run fast, right? The second thing you learn is if you run too fast, you're not going to see that enemy coming up and he's going to kill you. Now, that's a well, little... There's, th- another, there's another problem with that. And part of the problem is that even on the CRT, when Sonic's moving, he's in the center of the screen. You do not have the reaction time for anything, which is not... Th- this, this, and this is my biggest issue with playing the old school Sonic games, is that, like a lot of games back then too, I mean Ninja, Ninja Gaiden would have been the right. same way on the NES, it's rote memorization. It is the essence of trial and error, but in a way that it's like, oh, my error was that I've never played this game before. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore right. I don't have the level memorized from start to finish. It's, it's a little bit meaner than say Mario. So Mario taught you... Where you, Mario... It taught you... Because no, 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 let me tell you something about Mario. And this is one of the ingenious things about design. On the NES, 1986 we're talking. The very first, or was it 1984 or 5 in Whatever. Japan? I don't remember. But I think we got the NES 1986. I'd have to double check, but... Super Mario Brothers, right? You kick a Koopa shell, it goes off screen. And if it's going to bounce off of an object, you don't see it, but you hear it. If the Hammer Brothers are going to show up, you hear it before you see the hammers. Super Mario Brothers always had ways of giving feedback and warning you ahead of time. And Sonic just does not give a crap. Because Sega does what Nintendo don't. 
<laughs> usability testing. Well, no, Nintendo does usability. Yeah. Right. Well, here's what, what I was going to say. That went back on me. That, I shot myself in the foot on that one. So this is edit, edit, edit. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I was going to say. So, um, with with Sonic, the original Sonic. So, right. So, it's just a little bit more mean spirit. Because Mario teaches you, okay, hey, look, you can walk. Okay, you can jump. Oh, look, there's a bad guy. You can jump on the bad guy. Whereas Sonic's teach you, hey, look, you can run. Hey, look, you can run into the bad guy and die. Okay, let's try that again. Or my favorite is on the on the second. You know one. what? You know there is actually one advantage is they make sure you have rings before you hit the bad guy. That is true. So you, you get to learn you lose all your rings. There is one that I like in particular where there's an invincibility power up right before one of the first like uh, drops in the game that will kill you if you fall into it. Because earlier there haven't been any, so you get the invincibility power up, and if you just kind of like take a running jump. You'll land right in the pit and die. And it'd be like, oh, invincibility's not gonna protect you from that. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> That's what I thought. I thought that's so you learned the lesson. Like, okay, my invincibility does not protect me from falling off the screen. But that's, I mean, th this but, is where I'm getting, like, where we're getting to back some of the stuff that I was talking about. Like, for Final Fantasy, what you said with Final Fantasy X and the one boss, he's got the zombie stuff. You don't get a warning before you get into that boss fight about how to properly fight this enemy. So your only option is to die and go back again and then have a better idea. So right. the game should give you some slight warning ahead of time. Or just this. This is basically the Unaleska fight, but now you got nostalgia cloud in your memory because you're like, oh no, it's okay when this game kills you. Well, no, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying it's a little, <laughs> bit, it's a little bit meaner than Mario. And also we're talking about, you know, we're talking about, when I'm talking about losing time, in those situations, we're talking about like a 30 second time loss. We're talking about a game that you can probably beat if you're really good in like a half hour. Probably, but you have to play it 8 million times. You know what, again, to give some credit, to give some slack, back then, that was more expected. Right. Granted, by the time Nintendo was moving to the Super Nintendo, everyone was QAing their games better, so even Mega Man X required that less than their yeah. original NES game. Um, that's that's true. I mean, so, I guess I, though, though I will say I do I do need to defend because I've spent a lot of time to a lot of friends arguing with them about Sonic. And you know what? You before we recorded this, you did have me play a level of which was a Sonic Generation. Sonic Generation. And it wasn't the first level, but it was Chemical Zone or whatever. Yeah, Chemical Plant. Chemical Plant. Uh, that, by the way, is the best Sonic music. I don't care what you say. Come at me, bro. Um, Rolling around at the speed of... Sorry. No, no. Um, but, that level I was able to play. No, no real nostalgia. I know the song, but I don't really know the level too well. So the original level, or at least the original level. So I'm playing it for the first time, and while I've got you helping me, I was able to beat the level without dying. So, if I had done the first act and played this, like, okay. And a lot of people might not agree, but... Sonic has, in that case, gotten better. Because... You can beat a level without... Going, yeah. Going back to Sonic 3, the game is so opaque and it forces... Like, if you've never played a Sonic game before, you're screwed. Like, the, sec the second half of the second act, where it's all underwater, but the waters are kind of moving towards you, like, or spikes or something are moving towards you, it's, it requires skills that, if you have not played the previous games... You have not developed yet. 
and I I got so pissed trying to play through Sonic 3. And it's because, again, like, there's all this... The way it teaches players, and yet the system itself, like, simple modifications. Like, when Sonic is running, if the camera moved him to the left, or whichever, like, the opposite direction right. that you're running, if you had that much more leeway, you'd at least be able to jump over stuff. You would still probably make mistakes, you would still probably make a lot of uh, bad decisions, and you'd get into um, paths you don't really want to take, but at the same time, you would still make fewer mistakes because you actually have the reaction time. It would rely less on memorization of the map. Mm -hmm. Because again, like even what you said, like you know that if you keep running, you're going to hit enemies. Like if you just keep right. running fast, you're gonna hit. And it. yet, what is supposed to be the big deal about Sonic except gotta go fast? Gosh. Now that's something that the the newer 3D ones, and just in general, sort of fixes that a lot of times they break up the fast sections. You're you're behind Sonic. You're in a, you're in a bird's eye view behind him rather than going side to side, so they're able to, you know, with modern technology. But even then, the camera placement, I mean, that was actually one of the more frustrating aspects because the camera placement is such that I still wasn't able to necessarily react and plan on time. Well, you're just bad at video games, awesome. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, so, so I'm that's... I'm sure. That's, that's part of the problem. Um, I could so, beat Halo now, on Legendary, but that's clearly a baby game compared to Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, so... What actually inspired this? We I think we've talked about a lot of Japanese games. We've talked about a lot of classic games, games that in 2000 and before. Yeah, nothing too modern yet. Yeah. Um, so what actually inspired this for me um, was, and maybe I'm going to get the hate mail for this, <laughs> was my recent playthrough on Uncharted 4. And this is a different category of pet peeves, where I think our, our first category of pet peeves were largely a game related to wasting time and just expecting things. Things that don't really challenge the player, but punish the player and nonetheless for like things the player doesn't know, things the player couldn't know. Now, I guess now this, this ties, ties in a little bit with that. And so even you take a game like Sonic for all of its difficulties and, and issues, it introduces elements, you know, kind of one at a time and it builds on those, and then it, it creates a sequence. Or Super Mario Brothers is really the best example of this. Or Mega Man, World, well, oh, Super Mario Brothers, because think about, okay, World 1, you learn the basic run, jump, fire jump, flower on, and your jump on enemy, fire flowers, star. invincible stars. All right, level 2, you go underground. Same thing. All right, so then you are, are not level 2, like 1, 2. Um... I'm just trying to think of when they introduced the actual Koopa Trooper with a shell. Do they have any in the first level? Yeah. I think they have the one. Yeah. And they so, give you plenty of time right, to learn enemy about types. the So bouncing. then as you go, so now you're, as you go, you introduce flying enemies. Then you get onto, then you introduce the castles. The first castle is really simple and straightforward. You either jump over or run under King Koopa and hit the thing. Okay, world two starts out normal. 2-2, two, two, instead of going underground, now we go underwater. And we introduce a new play style. Yes. Right? And we introduce the underwater play. Okay, then you get you keep going and the, you well, actually, escalate. Even then, like the World 1-3, because World 1-2, I 
No, it's not just going underground. It's well, also you you're in a more closed in space. You don't have as much room. But then World 1 3 is like mushroom. Right. That you it jump opens on. up. Right, right. But anyway. So there's more cliffs, I, I, more I, I, hazards. Just, like, we get to my point. Uh, we get to my point. All right. All right. So, then, so then three, we escalate a little bit with we introduce the, the beetle guys who are unkillable essentially with fire flowers. Um, then you get to four and you introduce. An enemy who's raining down stuff on you from the sky. That could um, do, yeah. We've all think we introduced Hammer Brothers in three, also in uh, World well, three. three. Uh, I'm not sure all of them. I think Lacatu was earlier than anyway, four, but yeah. Anyway, so we we kind of slowly are introducing all these. You get to eight, and oh, you in four you also introduce the multi-path castle. Oh, where yeah. Where you have yeah, to yeah. take the correct path. So then you get to eight. You get to the final castle. And the final Koopa. And so what do you have? You have multi-paths. You have varied enemy types. You've got an underwater section. You've got, you know, a King Koopa who's... We've seen it before, but now you've seen... He's breathing fire, throwing hammers, jumping. There's there's other enemies flying through the air at you. Like another yeah. element that you've seen earlier. So we take everything you've learned and say, put it all together and do something cool with it. Uncharted 4. If you hopefully have a mushroom so you could just take a hit and run to drop them in the lava. Right, exactly. <laughs> or if you're, you know, if you got a fire flower the whole way, you can take him down with a fire flower, get the extra thousand points. <laughs> anyway, so Uncharted 4. You get to the end, you've learned all kinds of skills swinging on ropes, climbing, using the little pickaxe thing to. to Grab on to things you can't climb on. Shooting with different kinds of weapons. How does the game end? A sword fight. With totally different controls <laughs> that you've never seen before. That's largely glorified QTE. Where you have to parry left. Parry right. And you have to attack right away. And so, you know, he takes a... You have to watch him and say, okay, he spins. I got to parry left. He's spinning this way. Now I got to parry right. And then if you mess it up, you die a hundred times. And it's actually really mean-spirited, too, when it kills you. Like, it's, it makes it very clear that, like, Nathan Drake just died a really brutal, embarrassing <laughs> death being run through by a sword in a painful way. And he, like, taunts you. And it's actually, this is not, suddenly the game, a game that's been fun and lighthearted and enjoyable. And Nolan North. And Nolan North just became really not fun for about 15 minutes while I tried to figure out that last fight. I have a question. Have you played The Order 1886? Yes. Compared to the knife fight with the wolf. I, way worse. Way worse, okay. Because I, I just... I beat a couple weeks ago The Order 1886 and everything you're saying... I'm just sitting here like, that sounds a lot like the fight with the wolf. Which they at least do once before, earlier in the game, before they do it at the end. But right. That is, of course, another game where, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what my pet peeve is with that game. It wasn't awful, but its gameplay was not as inspired as I don't its think, concept. Yeah, I don't think there was really any pet peeve. Maybe that is a pet peeve. Yeah. But, but anyway, so that, that pet peeve is games that totally throw out... Everything you've learned for the final sequence, in contrast to something like Nier, which we talked about last week, 
which ta again takes everything you've learned, everything you learned, and throws it together in an epic, cinematic, really enjoyable final sequence. And you know what? I'm actually covering a good version of that uh, in my next video for Ramble Pack because Transformers: Fall of Cybertron, Cybertron. That's actually the whole last level. They don't do as much as I would have liked because there is one character that's got a really boring, crappy part to it. Um, but for the most part, it's like, let's take a bunch of different gameplay elements. And while it too does suddenly end with a random sword fight, it's at least a lot more reasonable than what Uncharted 4 sounds like. But, well, now, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't now, know. I will say that I was about, I don't know, 10 hours into Uncharted 4. And I was saying, hey, this is like a pirate-themed game, and there's all these pirates, dead pirates everywhere, and pirate treasure. Like, why can't we grab one of these pirate stores and start slashing around with it? Little did I know I would have to eat my words when that <laughs> yeah. final fight came around. Oh, man, versus Near Automata, which seemed to end perfectly, honestly. Yeah, and in a lot of ways. Um, but I'm trying to think, so what are some other games? Do you think of any other games that do that, that sort of throw out the game at the end i feel like i should like the closest i can think of is the boss fights in halo 2 where it's just like oh we're just gonna come up with a random boss fight kind of a deal yeah or, or a god of war was another example where the last boss fight where throughout the game kratos is is nimble and he has range and there's a certain flow to fighting and then for the final boss fight you're like hundred feet tall and you're slowed down and your attacks are slower and you need to be you know the you need to I, I can complain about this one less because I'm just bad at blocking in in those style games but it was a similar one where we're like okay we're throwing out all the fast nimble dodging you know what, what were his chains called swords. dude I don't know the chains with the sword chucks yo sword chucks um, yeah, we're throwing out the, all that stuff, and you're going one-on-one -on -one with Ares, and it's going to be sluggish and painful. You know what, actually, and this is going to be surprising because otherwise the game is absolutely phenomenal, or it's rather what it makes me think of, the final boss of the original Bayonetta, which kind of just brings up my pet peeve of huge bosses that may as well be, like, the huge boss where you got to slash at their hands. Near Automata kind of did it, but you're also kind of shooting at his face kind of a deal. Like, I think there are some games that do kind of fix this. Right. Because if the enemies... And I remember when I first saw both Bayonetta and Dante's Inferno was at um, Game X in Philadelphia, a one-time convention that never came back. Um, and yeah, you had both demo stations showcasing these giant hulking bosses that would try and smack on your character and then you'd slash at their hand. Right. And it was like, part of it was the era, but it's like, and I will say, Platinum Games did it better with Bayonetta, but... It's still... I... I it, it feels like, especially the final boss, like you're, sh you're basically slashing at her freaking feet, man. Right. It and was so irritating, and I'd rather you either use mechanics where I'm climbing that boss... Or you, you do something more creative with it. I don't want to just stand there on a platform while these giant hands... Like, I gotta dodge giant hands trying to stop me. Right. Like, I'm trying to, 
I am trying to remember. I don't know what game it was. But I do recall a game with a giant boss, and the key to beating it was was basically using the juggling mechanic to like the same mechanic to like launch and attack, and then it would let you do another launch and attack, and then you would like you would basically climb the boss with that. I, part of me wants to say a devil may cry because you can technically do that, but. I don't know if it was... None of the ones I played, like, you didn't need to... Especially because I never want to beat them if you needed to do that. <laughs> but... I hear anyway, so, but, yeah, but that's something... It's it's a... It, that's like a overused trope, I feel like. Here's giant, the yeah. giant enemy, you know? And it's the idea that they want you to be like, Oh, man, this is going to be amazing. But it's like, look, you know, what, you know when it was fun to fight the huge enemies in your automata? When you were, like, a jet plane or something like that. Like, where it made right. some level of ascent. Like... You never had to melee attack giant fishmonger thing. I'm assuming you know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, That right. was a great boss fight, and the thing was huge in scale. That was fine. Yeah. But otherwise, if I'm just standing on a platform and then dodging its big-ass fists, I'm sorry, man. I don't find that particularly engaging, and it's not really testing my skills or abilities. So Bayonetta 2's final boss did a lot better. I actually fought it like I would have never I never, I've never played the Bayonetta game, but maybe I should at some point. You should, especially now that they're on Steam. You got a good computer. Oh, wait, no, you got Apple computers. Never mind. Yeah, plus I would need a, I need to buy like a gamepad for my PC to play that on. Well, well I guess I can is. use uh, DualShock as a gamepad, right? Uh, maybe now. I don't know. I think you can. But either way, rumor is Switch might be getting a Bayonetta port. No confirmation on Platinum Games, and yet Hideki Kamiya, the director of the first Bayonetta, has been trolling the community. <laughs> of no. course he has. He's actually making no. fun of the community for trying to find all these like little hidden symbols. Like, uh, oh yeah, it's like the guns make an S, and it's the colors of the Joy-Cons, and he's like manipulating the image. So he's like, oh my god, it's a three, Bayonetta three confirmed. <laughs> This is the guy that made Bayonetta making fun of everyone about what's actually confirmed. Sounds about right. So, so yeah, so so what do we have right now? So we've got games that waste your time. Specifically with um, with cheap cheap mechanics, boss fights, especially final boss fights. Um, yeah. And over large bosses that don't really actually test skill, they're just trying to be impressive. And I, suppose, got, I suppose we could put quick time events in there, but I mean, but that's, I think QTEs are like a, they're sort of a subset of that second idea, and that's where we, you fail to actually use um, video games to their potential. Right, you fail to actually use the, the gameplay elements that you've learned, and instead you're just, you know, press X to not die. But I will say there's a fine line, because some, like, when you think about it, like, Tomb Raider, and Rise of the Tomb Raider, the new ones, mm. in some ways may as well be quick time events, but it's always tied to like the action button you would use in that situation. Right. Like if you like you, you hit jump and then you hit the pickaxe button to hang off the ice and then climb up. Now, and Heavenly Sword, did you ever play Heavenly Sword? I have not. That is, I think that's a that's a very underrated game from back when the PS3 was like, oh man, that system's tanking. Yeah, <laughs> uh, back when like the PS3 was gonna be the next Dreamcast or something. Oh, uh, so, but that is a similar one where your 
your combos sort of turned into QTEs because it was like you, you, everything was a reaction. So you would like block and then it would be like a, almost essentially like a QTE sequence to then finish, do a finisher on the enemy. Uh. Um, but it, but it was very smooth in the combat. And that game also had a lot of cute, like just throughout it had QTEs to do various things. Um, you know what? I do have a minor one, and it's one that again, near. I mean, we we sung a lot of praises in near automata last week, so I guess now is the time to pick some nits. Forcing the player to walk very slowly because you want to just uh, chat exposition into their ear. Near automata, I guess, was a long enough game that did it. It didn't do it so much that I didn't mind it because when someone kind of brought it up. The moment I was thinking of was when, like, uh, one of the characters was, like, kind of broken and breaking down, and therefore moving forward very slowly, and I was like, you know what, no, I'm okay with that execution. But then I remembered, like, there would be times where I'm in the village, oh, and right. I can't talk to nobody, I can't do nothing, wow. I can't teleport, until you walk out of the village, and all of a sudden, like, your operator's calling you, and the game forces you to walk, like, very slowly. Yeah, I call that the Gears of War. Because like Gears, Gears, like Gears of the first War, time they really did it. Yeah. That Gears of War, it was like classic where you would be moving from from battle to battle as like, okay, time to walk real slow and talk on my radio. Yeah. Because I'm Marcus Fenix. <laughs> and it's like, in some ways, I can't help but wonder, like, Maybe I'm is, that, is that like a system limitation thing? Like in Gears of War, were they forcing you to do that because it's like, okay, we need to swap out textures, we need to like uh, do stuff in the RAM. I, like, I just always kind of assumed it was like, we've got to cram in... We want to make sure you hear this because yeah. if we if we're talking over you shooting, they just not create going longer corridors so you don't have to walk slowly. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, it's it, it becomes blatant when they the game suddenly forces you to move slowly, and it's like you know what? Then just make it take longer to walk to the next and, area, so I don't feel like I'm losing that kind of control. And this could fall into another category, which I would. Um, basically put all of the Metal Gear Solid games into, <laughs> and that is excessive exposition uh, from the from the game. Like, I'm thinking of Metal Gear Solid 2, and those, like, comm calls. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was like, the, the all of the exposition happens on these, like, you know, where you, like, look at, like, Raiden's face, and General What's-His-Butt's face. <laughs> um, it's just like... I think it was Colonel, actually. Colonel, sorry. Colonel What's-His-Butt. <laughs> um, and it was just... It was torturous sometimes. And you're sitting there in the sticks. Your right stick moves like the view of Raiden's face. And the left stick moves the view of the other guy's face. I don't remember if I ever experimented with that. Yeah. And that was like what you but were doing. But once you do that, you stop paying attention Ex to the dialogue. <laughs> exactly. You're like... <laughs> no, I, I, I guess, in, yeah, in some case when it comes to exposition, yeah. I or, mean, the, the game needs to figure out a way to make it interesting or entertaining. Right, it's exposition and, that breaks immersion. Like, Resident Evil 4 was written pretty poorly, but some of the, can like, even when they did the Metal Gear Solid communications, which people hated at the time, actually, but even when they brought that out, like, even though it was campy and Leon was a bit of a douchebag, the way in which he was written and voice acted, it's like there's at least some kind of a spirit to it. So it was more than just, we are giving away exposition. Push the select button to continue hearing listen, exposition. Listen to us talk for five minutes. 
It's not like like those were those were moments where like Metal Gear Solid Three had moments where I th I'm pretty sure one cutscene my auto off triggered on my on my PlayStation Three because I had it set to turn off automatically after 30 minutes. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> so in the like, middle of a set of well, cutscenes, I, I think it warned me or something like, no, no, don't turn off. Uh, but yeah, and then you hit the skip cutscene button. <laughs> right. You go back and say, like, oh shoot, and what now, did I miss? You and go now, onto YouTube, you and it's like another hour. Yeah, but you still, either way, you had no idea what was going on. It just so uh, it didn't really matter anyway. Yeah, and it still makes no sense. Exactly. Well, I think that I think that's a pretty good set of pet peeves there. Yeah, I do. I mean, I do think this... Yeah, this is a pretty solid filler episode. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, if you guys want to catch episodes that are a lot less filler, uh, remember to check out Gamertagged.net or go to Facebook.com slash RamblePack64, no C. There's also YouTube.com slash RamblePack64, again, no C. Or go to Twitter, and I am at C-C-E-S-A-R-A-N-L. C Cesarano, that's my name. Um, Try to say that ten times fast. No. <laughs> All right, and Steve, where can people find you at? Because obviously not Twitter. Ah, just find me wherever, I don't know. Not even going to pimp the music you're reviewing? Oh, yeah, find me. I, I, uh, I do music reviews for progressive rock and metal on theprogmind.com. That's the... P-R-O-G mind.com all one word yeah, I just spelled out P-R-O-G Prague in case you were like thinking it was like you know Prague like P-R-A-G-U-E oh you mean those little coin things from the 90s no that's the Pog Mind oh <laughs> I'm sorry everyone alright so I think that, that, that yeah that's a good filler that's a good list of pet peeves and uh that's good. Tell that wasn't filler. We talked about Sonic. We talked about Mario. We talked about Halo, Gears of War. Exactly. Good filler. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing to really chain it all together satisfyingly. That's all right. You guys have a good night. All right. You have a good night all indeed.